right, welcome to the podcast, episode 14 of the Noel Kassler podcast. I'm back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, to break down the week's events. Jimmy, how you doing today, brother? Doing fantastic, buddy. I've had a blog that lasts longer than Trump's. I guess that's an accomplishment I can put on my resume, huh? That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take that, you know, not to take anything away from you, but man, how many failures has he had? He had it. He has so many things that people don't even know about. He had Trump tea. He had Trump energy drink, which he was selling in, in Israel and Palestinian territories. Like the guy is, you know, he tried everything, steaks, vodka, you know, slap my name on it. And uh, the blog is hilarious because it's come down. It started kind of another meltdown in his mind because he obviously he I, I think he took it down because his lawyers told him to take it down. Like you're <laughs> facing a huge trial because I read some of it and he would put his normal, you know, screeds on there, a whole page of facts <laughs> and crazy accusations, which can only be used against him. So but, you know, I guess the word is he took it down because he was ashamed of the numbers. Because I think it got less readership than cooking with Aunt Mary and ways to use walnuts and chocolate chip cookies. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was what was the thing with uh, Hugh Hewitt or one of those, you know, he's like uh, the only guy with less ratings than whatever. I mean, yeah. that was always his thing, one of his tropes about ratings and how to stick it to people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Trump's followers, let's be real. They don't read blogs. <laughs> you know, they don't I, read. Right. They don't read. <laughs> if they do, they're on 8chan reading about, you know, how Nazism is coming back. And they're the chosen ones that are going to fight against the evil baby eating socialists. So uh, let's get into it. I just watched that QAnon documentary that my hero Adam McKay produced on HBO, which was just amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, but you guys should all check it out. Adam McKay is the best. You know, he did War Dogs, which is my all time favorite movie of the last 10 years. I love things that uh, talk about real events, you know, and can do it in an entertaining, engaging way. And uh, that certainly does it. And it should scare people because what's going on now is, you know, they're full on. January 6th was a dress rehearsal. You know, it was a likely outcome of the aggrievement that he had festered in these people since the beginning. You know, a year ago, last summer, he knew he was going to lose. Let's be real. And he was like, hey, it's going to be a fake election. They're going to cheat. I'm just telling you, I'm going to win, but they're going to cheat. <laughs> if I don't win, they cheated. And of course, he lost and uh, he, he got more votes than I thought he would, but he lost. Then the next con is like, hey, they took it from me. And the fact that that's still playing out that Michael Flynn spoke at a QAnon convention in Dallas last weekend, mm -hmm. you know, where he said, we should have a coup here. When somebody asked him if, why can't we have something like happened in Myanmar here? And the whole audience of idiot rednecks cheered. And I'm not dissing you, but you're a redneck. If you show up at a Cowboys for Trump QAnon convention on Memorial Day weekend, you're an asshole. You know, and you don't understand what Memorial Day was about. Your grandpappy who stormed the beaches on Normandy did it in vain in your case, because the only answer, especially from a former U.S. general in that instance, is that's not how we do things here. That's mm. the only thing you say in response to that question. That's not how we do things in the United States. We do it peacefully and democratically. That's what we fight fascism for. And he didn't give that answer. He said, yeah, that's a good idea. And everybody cheered. So that same army is out there. And in August, Trump is going to call for a bloodletting. He'll burn this place down before he'll surrender to justice. That's mm -hmm. if, if you've seen anything about the man, that is his M.O. 
And that's what he's going to do. And he doesn't care about this country. He doesn't care about his kids. He doesn't care about anything but himself and the constant need for attention and to feed his sick black hole of a self with whatever can make him feel superior. My question that comes to mind immediately is, you know, we we know that to some degree, these GOP representatives are compromised, right? Or at least they're afraid to stand up to Trump because they know he's a mob boss and they're certainly afraid of his sycophant followers, right? But if they know his end game is to burn the country down anyway, why don't they just let whatever corruption they have holding them back come out? You know, like at this point, you need to stand up and have some kind of siblings for the Constitution, don't you? No. If you're a representative? These guys don't care about the Constitution, and the country's not really going to burn down in their case. It's not like it becomes unlivable. The cities become broken. You know, that's what they want to do is break the backs of like municipal economies and let the poor suffer and let minorities suffer and live out in the suburbs and gated communities. You know, I got mine. I'm going to the golf course. I got a new bass boat. You know, I got a big old like bay liner to pollute the, you know, the ocean down in you know Palm Beach when I go out on Sunday. They're fine with that. They don't care about democracy. You know, they don't care about the Constitution. They care about maintaining their way of life, which is mediocre white men can get ahead if they join the right fraternity, so to speak. And then my son can go to Duke or go to William and Mary and rape a couple co-eds and then go to law school and then go to a financial company or law firm and then run for Congress and protect my interests, you know, and protect the interests of my friends that helped him succeed. That is what they're protecting. Look, a lot of attention came this weekend on Tulsa, right? The Tulsa massacre. And most people are like, I can't believe I didn't know about this. I'm not surprised people didn't know about it. I've known about that my whole life, you know, because I didn't, you know, because I was raised by, you know, Pete Seeger loving grandparents and parents, you know, my mom (laughs) and grandma like marched, you know, in Washington with Dr. King. I used to go to the Woody Guthrie, you know, folk festival every year. I'm wearing their hat right now in their honor. I went to Tulsa and paid my respects on my way to Okemo, Oklahoma, where Woody Guthrie was from and where the festival is. My point is that history was out there if you wanted. It's why I'm always telling people to read the people's history of the United States, which is the true history of the U.S., And they'll teach that in colleges, but they're not going to show that on the History Channel. As a matter of fact, I met Matt Damon in 2000. When I worked for Springsteen, he did a bunch of shows at the Garden that I worked on at the end of the reunion tour. And they filmed it. And it was this wonderful 10 shows. And one night, Matt Damon came backstage, you know, and... uh, I was like, hey, Matt, you know, nice to meet you. I, you know, it was my job to kind of entertain the guests a little bit. So I brought him into this room, got him a beer. And I was like, hey, Matt, it's great to meet you, man. I think we have, you know, a mutual, you know, I think, you know, one of my heroes. And I think he thought I was going to be like Robin Williams or, you know, whoever. And I was like, he's like, oh, yeah, who? I said, Howard Zinn. And he's like, oh, my God, my mom was one of the editors on that book. And I read my first, you know, I read the first edition, like before it was published, it was published in 1980, you know, when I was in third grade, we're the same age, you know, and he said, I would do my book reports in school about like Columbus Day. And I'd be like, Columbus was a genocidal maniac. Who was, you know? And I was like, me too. That's how I grew up. So there were pockets of intelligentsia. And I'm not using that word to say superiority. I'm saying intellectual liberals kind of minded folks were interested in, in hearing and telling the truth. But Matt told me something interesting. He said, you know, I've been trying to make a series out of that book for a couple of years and I got turned back down by the History Channel. 
You know, I got turned down by PBS, I believe he said. He got turned down by all these things that you think would be into something like that, but it's almost too radical to tell the truth about this country because most people don't understand it and they don't want to think about it. Like I said on another episode, you know, we're raised to raise, you know, put your hand over your heart and pledge allegiance to the flag and we're the good guys and we won World War II all by ourselves, <laughs> you know, which wasn't the case. You know, you never talk about the Canadians that fought in that war or the Australians or, you know, so there's this myth that we're this superior race. In terms of democracy, not just I'm not making an allusion to white supremacy, which is obviously baked into the whole thing. So truth like that is dangerous. You know, it's dangerous and inconvenient, but it's coming out now. And there should be reparations paid in that case, in Rosewood, in about a hundred other examples of massacres that happened against African-Americans. And what they were scared of, you know, to wrap up my point, is the same thing that you said about the GOP. They don't care about democracy. They care about threats. You know, they weren't just destroying a black community. They were destroying generational wealth because that was 100 years ago. If those people that own those banks and those barber shops and those doctors and lawyers and theater owners had gone on to prosper, they would have handed that off to their kids and their kids would have handed it to their grandkids. And half of Oklahoma might be successful African-American folks right now. And instead they robbed it from them. And the same thing happened in Reaganism, you know, but it was done by legislation and by fiat of the CIA bringing cocaine into the hood. You know, it was another black massacre because they're afraid of black excellence, black thought, black professionals, black professors. I saw when I grew up in PG County, it was I lived in a community that was near the University of Maryland. And there was a lot of educated African-American folks in my neighborhood, you know, and people that were striving. It was a low income kind of place, but it was people working their way up. You know, the dads were going to graduate school and right. people were getting by and living in apartments and stuff till they got a better life. Reagan came in in 1980 and that all disappeared. You know, mm -hmm. I moved to New York and went back to that neighborhood of three years, four years later, and the crack e epidemic had come through and all my friends were gone. It was like a bomb went off. And I'm like, what happened? Reagan right. happened. You know, the war on drugs happened. The lock up every black man you see who's got a joint in his pocket happened. It destroyed that same thing. People have always been afraid of letting African-Americans get a legit toehold in this country and in this economy. Sure, they'll let a Michael Jordan slip through and a Michael Jackson. You know, we'll always right. celebrate certain people. Not everybody's going to be that. Like Chris Rock said, you know, you'll have true equality in this country when a black man can just be mediocre, right? right. You know, and that's yeah. what I'm talking about. White mediocrity is a protected class. You can be a dumbass and become a lawyer and a doctor as a white guy. <laughs> I live in the Upper East Side. Like, I know tons of them. Yeah. People are always like, oh, he went to Harvard. I know so many people that went to Ivy League schools that are dumbasses, you know, that got by because they're good at taking tests and they went to the right prep school and their dad went to the school and whatever. And they'll admit it. They'll be like, yeah, I got drunk every night and, you know, barely failed out. But then, you know, my dad made a contribution and I graduated. Yeah. I, going back to your point about Matt Damon, you know, I thought of, that scene in Goodwill Hunting, getting uh, his first meeting with Robin Williams, and he talks about the people's history of the United States, and he's like, "That book will blow your mind." So that gives more context to that scene that you know he he read it as a third grader, and you know I saw I don't know if you see uh, if you have HBO Max, uh, they have that show Exterminate the Brutes, which is similar to the people's history of the United States, which shows that <laughs> you know white led coalitions pretty much exterminated all the folks around them and ultimately built 
the wealth that we see today. So I think with the streaming platforms, you know, maybe Matt will have an option down the road, hopefully. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come out now. I mean, you know, all bets are off now and everything's going to come out. And I'll make one more point on that. You know, Bill Barr this week, you know, that Barr memo still has not been released by Attorney General Garland, you know, and there's a lot of talk that Biden is sort of going easy on them in the interest of moving on, right? You know, like looking towards the future and not back. That is a mistake, okay? Bill Barr is the guy who got Elliot Abrams and the rest of those dudes off for the massacre in El Mazote, which was a massacre that happened in El Salvador in the early 80s, where a bunch of these CIA agents and soldiers that were trained at the School of the Americas, right, went down to South America and they fought this illegal war on behalf of Reagan, you know, and where they got all the cocaine and started shipping it up in the U.S. to get guns and, and keep fighting these proxy wars that were essentially against communism, which is ironic since now the Russians are the GOP's best friend. You know, when you had Greg Gutfield last night on Fox News saying, like, I hope maybe Putin will kill Biden in their meeting. And he gave a thumbs up. He literally said that on air. Like, how do you keep that on American airwaves? That stuff is being peddled by an Australian-born media magnet who's sitting on his super yacht watching this shit, watching the billions add up in his bank account. And you got little failed douchebags like Greg Gutfield calling for an American president, you know, to be assassinated by the biggest boogeyman on this planet besides Donald Trump, his boss, Vladimir Mm. Putin. So like, it's, it's insane. But Bill Barr, it was like the fixer. You know, he came in and got all those guys off, essentially. Ollie North, all these guys that later got pardoned, right? He's a bad dude. We obviously, we won't, we won't veer into Epstein territory, you know, but Bill Barr's dad, Donald Barr, hired Epstein to teach at Dalton, even though Epstein didn't have a college degree. You don't normally get a job at one of the best prep schools in the city, in New York City, you know, if you don't have a college degree. But he got taught to teach there anyway, <laughs> right? They both did their thing, left under a cloud, right? It was signed off NBAs, NDAs, right? Well, Donald Barr's dad goes on to write novels about teenage sex slaves. Jeffrey Epstein builds a replica of the temple from the cover of that book on his private island that when he cut a deal to go to prison with Alex Acosta, a Trump appointee, he had an industrial size shredder shipped to the island and tile removers and cleaned up evidence before he surrendered himself to the Palm Beach district attorney and went to jail where they let him leave at night or leave during the day, go back to his mansion where he would still get serviced by underage girls. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing was insane. The guy finally gets popped. Epstein ends up in jail and then ends up dead five weeks later. And it's also six weeks after they had a fundraiser next door to Epstein's house, right? which is right. owned now by Howard Lutnick, right? Who had a, you got, you're probably not following any of this. Howard Lutnick was the head of Cantor Fitzgerald. It was the company at 9-11 that 700 employees died. Right. Howard didn't happen to be there that morning. He was dropping his kid off at school. He's kind of a villain. You know, that's not his fault, but he's not the most well-respected guy in New York City. He bought his townhouse from Jeffrey Epstein's brother. So his townhouse was number nine. Epstein's was number 11. Two okay. months Two months before Epstein gets arrested, Lutnick has a fundraiser, get Steve Wynn to come. 
Steve Wynn doesn't leave Las Vegas at this point because he's practically blind and he's under, you know, a cloud of his own sexual like peccadillos, you know, harassment, assault, however you want to name it. But he gets Steve Wynn to go to this fundraiser, right? He gets Rudy Giuliani and a bunch of other guys. They raise $30 million. Donald Trump shows up. He flies up for D- from D.C. And my take on that is it was essentially a shakedown. You know, they were like, hey, this guy's going to get popped. We can't stop it now. You know, I feel like somebody got the word, even though Barr had recused himself and then put him back, put himself back on the Epstein case after he got arrested. So I feel like they got word, said, hey, raise some money for our guy. He's going to make this go away. You know, it's going to be in the headlines again, because when Epstein took his first deal, part of the deal was that he couldn't nobody else involved with him would ever come out. You know, by accepting the deal, Alex Acosta got him. It was basically like. He protects everyone else in perpetuity. He serves these two years where he gets to leave during the day and then he's a free man and anything he's ever done. And then, of course, he went back to the same shit. You know, he went back right. to being this guy and he's flying in on his jet and he gets popped. Right. He gets popped on the fourth of Ju- right after the fourth of July. And then he's, you know, he's dead in a couple of weeks. So that's insane. That all has the hallmark <laughs> of Bill Barr. You know, that's what these guys do. They protect the secrets. These are the men in the shadows, you know, the guys that are pulling the strings against these massacres in El Mazote, you know, and these illegal wars and these CIA bringing drugs into the hood in South Central and stuff. And that's something that's bigger than any one person. And Biden's great and he's doing great, but to really confront that stuff is radical. It's as radical as teaching the people's history of the United States. And we have to be aware of that now more than ever. We have to really start defining who we are, what we're going to accept, and how much truth is going to be a currency in our life going forward. Well, and what worries me is I don't know if we'll get another chance to legislate. You know, imagine 2022, the GOP takes over the House, and then the democracy is even more paralyzed. You know, and you were talking about like Bill Barr's dad and how these guys are kind of all in plain sight, you know, It's the folks that are doing these things in plain sight and are getting compromised. You know, Jeffrey Epstein would have pictures with like Bill Gates and all these folks that would visit him on these, uh, you know, trips. It's all interconnected. You know, like we've talked about with the media, it's the same deal with with these crimes that go on. It's all interconnected. Absolutely. And Bill Gates visited a lot. Bill Gates went and had dinner at that same townhouse I'm describing. You know, and I know a woman who was you know, basically a sex worker in that townhouse. And she was like, no, you wouldn't believe the stuff they did to women in there. And she's still traumatized. Somebody I'm still in communication with is just had a horrible life, you know, because she was this beautiful woman who got objectified. She's the one that Trump picked out when she was figure skating at his rink. And she was just a kid. And she called Trump her dirty uncle, you know, and he sort of groomed her. And then she ended up in Epstein's hands, you know, and Trump was the biggest sex trafficker in New York City. You know, Trump model management was sex trafficking and the dude got away with it. You know, everyone's talking about he's going to jail. That's what I want to see him go to jail for. How about going to jail for being a sexual predator? You know, how about face it up to some of those 200 accusations you have, the six legit cases of women saying he everything from rape to, you know, forced like sexual assault. Send him to jail on that shit. You know, if Trump was a black man that had that many accusations against him, you think he would have been allowed to walk free for so long if he was a wealthy black man? Or do you think they would have taken him down just like I mentioned? You know, just like the Tulsa massacre and black excellence and all. They would have been like, you're done, buddy. You know, they went after Al Sharpton harder in the 80s than they went after Donald Trump in New York City. That's a regional reference that you might not get. But like, 
they tried to destroy Al Sharpton in this Tawana Brawley case. And they made her the, the again, it was basically a woman said a cop attacked her. And, and back then it was like much more of a racist environment. And it was a lot easier for white society to believe that, oh, she's lying. And, and Reverend you know, Sharpton is just this scumbag trying to get attention and stuff. And that was the narrative. You know, and they were brutal to Al Sharpton. Meanwhile, Trump was doing that every day and nobody was looking at him. Right. You know, like it's so unlevel a playing field. And that's what they're protecting. That's what this country is. And we have to be honest about that, because now you got a whole generation of yahoos in their pickup trucks with their Punisher stickers and all their stuff. (laughs) Right. And they're looking to like foment a civil war. And as I say all the time. What's happening to the 15-year-old kids that are growing up in that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. that idolize their fathers and think, yeah, my dad's trained me in the ways of QAnon. I'm going to be a warrior. You know, (laughs) you're not going to get it out for generations. Look at the Middle East. You know, look at these kids that strap bombs on themselves. You know what I mean? Like you indoctrinate people in hate. That doesn't wash out easy. Well, and they, they didn't help matters by breaking kids away from their parents at the border. If I got torn away from my parents uh, at the border, I would spend the rest of my life ensuring that the United States suffered. You know, if you want to radicalize somebody, rip them away from their parents when they're an infant. Absolutely. That's a way to do it. And, you know, we we were going to talk about this. I know it it kills me that these GOP sycophants like DeSantis uh, will try to like he signed anti LGBTQ legislation the first day of Pride Month. That's not a coincidence. All of this is like just adding insult to injury the days that they're picking to do this sort of thing. Well, they're doing it on purpose. It's this performative bill signing on Monday or on Tuesday, rather, which was June 1st. Happy Pride Month to everybody. I'm the proud son of a lesbian mother. In case you don't know, I grew up, you know, around a generation of strong, you know, gay men and and lesbian women and, and LGBTQ folks. But back then they were in the closet. They were hidden in the shadows. It wasn't as open as it was now. 25-year-old dudes weren't getting married, you know? And I'm all for the way it is now. But there's a big chunk of this population that wants to go backwards. And we can't let that happen. And on the first day on Tuesday, because DeSantis knows who his base is, he signed an anti-trans hate bill which was basically like transgender women in sports can't compete. I'm doing this to protect student athletes. Shut up. Like it's not an issue. Okay. Like it's just, there is nothing there. No trans kid is taking a medal or a scholarship away from your child. I promise you that. Right. But it doesn't matter. It's the point of legislating bigotry and hatred that gets a big round of applause. And he had a big bill signing and he stuck his little finger up. He got the Trump move down and he signed this thing. The second day didn't get as much press, but it was even more despicable. He used his line item veto power in the state's budget to go against a, a promise that actually he had made to a gay youth in Orlando after the Pulse nightclub shooting, they support. And he said, you know, yes, there was money in the budget for mental health counseling for the victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting, which is one of the most horrific acts in American history. I was sick to my stomach that day. I was working on the Tony Awards. I didn't even want to go to work that night. Like it was so horrific. It still gives me the chills. So he ripped away the mental health funding. And also in Orlando, an old hotel was being used for runaway LGBTQ youth, right? Mm-hmm. So they use this old hotel to, to throw these, you know, these kids rather that kind of can get thrown away. You know, it's hard to grow up gay. A lot of times your family turns against you, especially in a place like Florida, 
where, where kind of like you have so many kind of bigoted, idiotic people, you know, they're going to turn against their kids, you know, like you have that everywhere, but you got a lot more of it in Florida. I lived in Florida. It ain't the, it ain't the sharpest tool in the toolbox. <laughs> you know, when I lived there, there, there was a saying like all the shit runs downhill to Florida, you know, what is the place you end up. It's not somewhere you aspire to. Right. So, you know, they had this wonderful thing and no offense to Florida. I'm glad I got to visit there a few times on work. I wouldn't go back. You know, while DeSantis is president, you're not going to catch my ass down there or governor. But I won't pump a dime into that economy. But anyway, so they had this hotel that was going to house these youth and he cut the funding for it. You know, just meanness. And, And that was a Trumpism thing. The cruelty is the point. Hey, let's be cruel to trans youth, right? right? Think of an easier target to mess with. You know, I've spoken a lot on this show. There's nobody braver than somebody willing to live their truth in a bigoted society, especially a kid in high school who's willing to confront something <laughs> like that. You know, I have a friend who transitioned a few years ago. He's in his 40s. You know, he had already raised a family and done all this stuff in the shadows, not living his true life. And it made his life horrible. You know, he had so many other issues that came from that until he finally blossomed and became who he is. So kids that are doing this young are getting a head start, you know, and they're skipping 30 years of alcoholism or addiction or depression or all these other things when you're, where you're not allowed to be who you are right? So you should be applauding those kids who are not going to have an easy time no matter what. It is not going to be easy to like be a boy one day and then show up the next day and say, no, actually, I think I'm a girl. This is who I am. And to walk down a high school hallway and do that, that's Mm. the bravest shit I've ever seen. As I said, put that person in the army, make them the general because somebody has that much courage. I am down with you. I applaud you. Bring it. And, and you should be legislating to support that and educating other people. Because if you bully people like that, you will regret it. If your heart ever warms to the point that you realize what you do, your life is going to be full of regrets and you can't take them back. Always choose love. Always choose kindness. That's what we're here for as people. People think we're here to make money and destroy the planet and get yours and screw over the other guy. Guess what? You can't take any of that with you. The only thing that lasts is love. And you should be given as much of it as you can and be as kind and supportive to every person you meet. And then you'll have a rich life. Or you could end up like Donald Trump, a guy who's had everything and appreciates nothing. Well, and the unfortunate thing, you know, I'm from Indiana, uh, about as uh, anti-LGBTQ as as it gets in the United States, having Mike Pence as a former governor. (laughs) And I think the, uh, the, the most disappointing thing about it is a lot of this hate toward this wonderful community that has shown so much strength. I've seen it firsthand. A lot of this is like suppressed men in the GOP that just don't want to face their own truth. That's unfortunate that they can't face that and just be who they want to be, you know, but no, they got to stay within the mold that they've been told is the right way. Right. And part of that hatred comes from resentment. They're jealous of these people that get to be who they want to be because they're like, damn, that's who I wanted to be. You know what I mean? I actually wanted to like do these other things with my life. And now I got to pretend to be a conservative, you know, and I'm married to mother who I hate, (laughs) you know, like I got to work for Donald Trump who tried to kill me and I still have to praise him. He praised him yesterday. Yeah, we we don't see eye to eye. Oh, really? He tried to hang you, bro. Tried to hang you, bro. 
look, you, you know, I was just giving a little rant about how kindness is king. You try to hang me, you ain't never friends with me again. I ain't getting over that one in this lifetime. I'm coming for you hard, dude. Especially if you're a 75 year old drug addict in diapers and shoe lifts. You know, that's the thing. How did you not stand up to Trump? This is what I want to tell people. People say like, I'm brave sometimes. They'll be like, I can't believe you speak out. Aren't you afraid? No because he's a bully. He's full of it. He doesn't come after me. He doesn't really come after anybody. He tweets about people. He doesn't really sue you. People are always like, oh, he's so litigious. No, he's not. He gets sued. The only people he actually sues are like carpenters and people that he owes money to that he knows can't afford the same type of lawyers that he has. So he knows he'll wear them down in the courts and eventually they'll accept pennies on the dollar. That's the only people he really sues. He doesn't sue anybody who's holding the truth about him because he's ashamed of who he is. And everyone knows he's a scumbag. Like Trump was a scumbag. They knew it at NBC. Everybody in The Apprentice knew it. Everyone, not everyone knew he was snorting Adderall because he didn't like, as I said, he wasn't doing it off the boardroom desk. You know, he'd walk <laughs> back with Keith Schiller and he'd try to hide it. And I'm a former drug user. I know what it looks like. You can't hide that shit from me, especially when chunks are flying out of your nose. So, yeah. you know, and he wasn't hiding it earlier in the clubs and stuff. But my point is, People don't speak out about him because they think, oh, I'm scared of him. Nothing to be scared of. This is what you should be scared of is what he did to this country. You should be scared of 600,000 people dying because the idiot was only thinking about himself. You know, and when I spoke out, I wasn't doing it like, ooh, he's doing drugs. If you were good at your job and you did drugs, fine, do it. As I said, I toured with Rock. <laughs> Taking care of 70 year old drug addicts was my job description. You know, if you can <laughs> yeah. play the gig, but if you're in active addiction, which means you're only thinking about yourself and you're living in resentment, that is debilitating. It's not the substances, it's the mental isms behind it. And that's what I was trying to show people with Trump. People will stay now in comments. They'll be like, well, the drugs doesn't matter because look at all the other stuff he did. Yeah, the drugs don't matter. The addiction matters because what I was trying to warn people about back in 16 and then when I started doing stand up in 18 was like, look, a rageful, self-centered drug addict is the last thing you want in this country if we come into a crisis because right. all he's going to think about is himself. And that's what happened, right? We got the pandemic and at first he was like, it's not happening. For just pretending it wasn't <laughs> happening. Remember there was a cruise ship with 50 people who tested positive and he's like, I'm not letting them off the boat because it'll put the numbers up and that'll make me look bad. Like he said it out loud, you know? He was like, yeah. well, we have seven cases. It's going to disappear in a couple of weeks. No, just leave the people out in the water, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then it happened. And then he was like, okay, it's happening. Okay, well, I want it to not happen anymore. It's over by Easter. Everybody go back to work. <laughs> rally. Then he did. And then he pretended like it wasn't happening for the next, you know, eight months. And that's 600,000 people people died. And then he pretended like he didn't lose an election. And now he's pretending like he gets reinstated in August. That's all severe addiction. He's always resentful. He's always the victim. He's always thinking about himself. He's always, there's a tenant in, in sobriety and it's, it goes, we're self-supporting through our own contributions. Means we pay our own way. Because right. that's a sober adult thing to do. You don't borrow money if you don't have to. If you do, you pay it back right away. You don't look for other people to fund you or your AA groups. You don't ask for grants. You put money in a basket and you're self-supporting through your own contributions. Trump's never been self-supporting, <laughs> right? He's supposed to be a billionaire who's asking for money every day. They probably send 10,000 texts a day now saying, donate money to Trump. Help us fight back. Why don't you spend your own money, you know? The whole family's like that. 
you know, Don Jr. just announced a cameo thing last night where he's charging $5.99 for a cameo. Those are Melania 2004 numbers. Put $599 in or $5.99? $599. Holy hell. Yeah, Don, <laughs> Don, that's what I'm saying. You could get Melania for another thousand, you know, in person. That's a joke. For that's a weekend. Not, no, she, no. An she was an escort. We all know it, but uh, <laughs> no, no shame in that. But that's not self-supporting. He's a cokehead who's like, send me 600 bucks, you know, send me two eight balls and I'll give you a shout out on video <laughs> chat with coke boogers coming out of my nose. Like these people are as sick as you've ever seen, you know, it, and it's a toxic disease. And what happened to this country is we all need Al-Anon now. We've all been abused because the president is like the father figure, whether you like it or not. That's the patriarchal, you know, the old white man who's in charge and makes decisions. And when we were down, which we've never been more down when our economy shut down, our social life shut down. I mean, New York City had an 8 p.m. curfew like that's insane. Hopefully we never see something like that in our lifetime. That's scary stuff. Like, don't leave your house. Everything is closed. No money is coming in. People are fighting over toilet paper. Like we were on the brink of, you know, and that was our guy in charge. It's mm -hmm. like, that was our dad figure. And it, all he thought about was himself while he was high all day. That will screw you up. You will not get over that easy. You need to go to therapy, go to meetings and work your way out of that. And that's where we're at now. But most people aren't doing any work your way out of it. You know, people are just kind of like, it's over. I'm not wearing a mask, blah, blah, blah. And that's why we see fist fights on planes, you know, women punching out fl female flight attendants, uh -huh. you know, the shootings every day. There was, somebody shot a dog. Like a lady tried to shoot a puppy, <laughs> not her son instead in Texas. You know, she's on a uh -huh. bike ride with a handgun, you know, uh -huh. on her belt, you know, with her husband, like riding bikes with their kids. That's a broken people. You know, mm -hmm. we're in trauma. We've been traumatized. We're not even out of the woods and we need to start healing and we need to start looking at the truth because the best disinfectant is sunlight. I'm going to divert into a Mike Pence story, a detail from when he uh, left the game where they were kneeling, right? That whole uh, fiasco back. And I've told about meeting him on the field, but he didn't even post a picture on Twitter from that game day. You understand what I'm saying? So he he posted a picture of himself and mom. And we, we love mom on this show. That's mother to you. Yeah, mother to me. I know. But uh, he posted a picture from like a game in 2014. It wasn't even that day that he was at the stadium. So all the money that went to his additional security was for an old picture that he put up on Twitter to satisfy who? 45. You right. know, like... This is what happens when a mob boss runs the country for four years. You know, everybody placates to him. Right. And bends everybody else's actions to feed his bruised ego because they're worried about him having a tantrum. You know, yeah. that's what happens when you have an abusive father. You tiptoe around him. You're like, I don't want him to get drunk and beat my ass again. You know, so <laughs> I'm going to be real quiet. That's how they all became uh, like the GOP was not like the men with a lot of backbone to begin with. You know, these weren't guys that most of them didn't have to like pull themselves up by the bootstraps and stuff. They were handed stuff. Josh Hawley is about as soft a dude as you're ever going to meet. The guy yeah. went to Stanford, Yale, I think, taught at St. Paul's, never lived in Missouri. He lives in Virginia. He clerked for a Supreme Court justice. You know, the dude was on a fast track from the day he walked into college and probably at his prep school even before that. But he pretends to be a man from the Ozarks standing up to big business and big government. No, he's a con man. He's a soft little like con man. 
And and so a big guy who who is also that way, but had more bluster than them was easily, you know, able to just run roughshod over these guys, because whatever you say about Trump, he was used to dealing with mob bosses in New York. You know, he was dealing with Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was a partner of Trump's, you know, and at Tony Salerno and dudes that were tough guys, you know, they were criminals, but they'll throw you in the trunk of a car and take you out to the woods and it's all over. They'll make you dig your own grave, take a leak on it and then shoot you, you know, like, and then have some calzones on the way home. Like that's how they do business. So Trump is like that. So then he shows up and it's like, you know, his biggest threats are dudes like Lindsey Graham, you know, and guys, (laughs) so Trump is like, I'm going to eat these guys for breakfast. And he did, you know, he's, he's still eating them for breakfast. He literally he's still eating. Right. He's still eating. He's eating them <laughs> like hamburgers. He's got all the power. He's now like the talk about him this week is who he's going to endorse in the 2022 races. And, and you made a great point, Jimmy. They're going to win. If, if these laws go through, you know, we talk about slipping the noose. Sunday night in Texas, you know, the Democrats went back into session. The state legislator tried to pass a bill on a three-day weekend when nobody was paying attention that would have been the most draconian, not only voter suppression, it would have allowed judges to overturn an election, right, without any evidence. So a guy who was pro-Trump could have said, hey, I don't think Trump won that, you know, lost that election fairly in my district. And the judge, and Louis Gohmert was a judge in Texas, I'll remind you. The same guy who spoke at the QAnon, you know, convention was a former judge in Texas, right? So if Judge Gomer Gomert is sitting on the bench that day, he goes, yeah, I think you're right. I pronounced Trump the winner. That's it. Game over. That was in the bill that the Texas legislator would have passed on Memorial Day weekend, if not for the bravery of the Democrats who left their barbecues and left whatever plans they had for the weekend, went back to the, the house in uh, Austin and walked out and prevented a quorum, right? Stayed up late, walked out, didn't allow them to get away with this. Okay. So they saved us. Those guys are heroes. Wars are won at the local level. You know, what's happening now, it's the local level that counts. It's Arizona and all these recounts and all these voter suppression bills in any Republican legislator in this country. That's what's going to make or break us next. Well, and here's what you got to understand, folks. Uh, I don't care if you're listening to this uh, in Indiana, New York, uh, Wyoming, Mississippi. If it happens somewhere else, it can happen to you. You know, that's why we're we're warning you right now. Like these things are happening. They're in motion. And going back to your thing about who was it? Uh, that judge, the the idiot who was a judge from te- Louis Gomert. Yeah, <laughs> we are not this dumb. Are we? Are we really this dumb? Like, come on, I'm almost baffled by the stupidity of this country at this point, that they're still going along with this. Yeah, well, stu- stupidity is the thing, you know, stu- stupidity <laughs> is the brand, you know, that's what we talked about last week, you know, they want you dumb, they want you racist, you know, they don't want you seeing that, like, any minority is just as equal as you are, they're not a threat, let them in, educate them, give them a fair shot at life, and it'll benefit us all. They don't want people seeing that because it takes away their brand, right? Their brand is racism. Their brand is protect me because I'm anti-socialism. And, I, you know, one of Trump's key campaign points last fall that he, he should have gotten pilloried for more than he did was that Biden wants to let blacks move into the suburbs. Remember, he was like, he's going to allow this Cory Walker or whatever. The, the guy from New Jersey had a bill that was basically Cory Booker. 
Cory yeah. Booker, right? Who's a yeah. great guy. I've met Cory a few times. Very cool guy. You know, Trump was like, he's going to let blacks come to the suburbs. Your nice little cul-de-sac is over now. You're going to have a housing project next door. Like as dog whistle racism as possible. And that's what he was doing. That's what he was talking about. So like you take away people's fear of the other, you can't sell that shit anymore. It's like the NRA can't sell guns if people aren't terrified of their neighbors and a potential boogeyman, you know, because then they're going to be like, you know what, I'm going to spend that money on a kayak instead, you know, like or something else I want. I'm going to go on a ski vacation. I don't need another AR-15, you know, because guns are expensive. Spend that money on something fun. But it's a product. They're selling a brand. They're selling stuff. Same reason people think they need these big pickup trucks. Like, dude, you live in Parsippany and work <laughs> in customer service. You don't need a lifted King Ranch version of a Ford F-150. And you'd be putting another hundred bucks in your pocket every week if you bought a goddamn Camry, you know, an appropriate car for who you are and what your life is. You're not out there fixing fences. You're not hauling bales of hay, bro. You know, you live in a suburban <laughs> area. You don't need this big pickup truck, but it's part of the brand. You know, it's yeah. part of this whole idea of this toxic masculinity BS, which I'm going to spend the rest of my life railing against. I can tell. <laughs> well, we, we've talked about it before. You know, I think one of my issues with these GOP folks who are clearly compensating for something, it's like channel it into playing guitar or cooking or spending time with your family, for God's sakes. Like, there's so much better ways to channel your frustration. Do it do it in a positive way where it's going to actually be beneficial to someone, even if it's not yourself. You know, put it, I don't know, you, you get the point that I'm saying? Like, there's better ways to handle rage than, than this. Well, I, absolutely. There's much better ra- ways to handle rage, you know, and that's part of why they defunded the arts. As it comes up, seems like every week on this show, yeah. so Reagan came in and cut the arts, National Endowment of the Arts. He cut the funding. They don't want people getting in touch with their humanity because then people think for themselves and they seek out the truth. You know, you start playing music. You're like, hey, where did this start? You know, who did Springsteen listen to? Oh, he listened to Bob Dylan. Who did Bob Dylan listen to? Oh, he listened to Woody Guthrie. Let me go listen to Woody Guthrie. Holy shit. Woody Guthrie wrote about (laughs) all these massacres. You know, there's a 1913 massacre, which happened up in Minnesota or Wisconsin, where a bunch of miners got stampeded on Christmas Eve. They were in a hall and they would been protesting against the owners of the mines that weren't paying them. And somebody went in there and wanted to end the situation basically and yelled fire. And all these people started stampeding and like a hundred people got killed, women and Mm. children on Christmas Eve, right? That was done by a mine owner because he didn't want workers speaking up for their rights. Now you would have heard about that a long time ago if you'd been living, you know, listening to Woody Guthrie. And that's what Mm -hmm. Woody Guthrie was because back then you didn't have the internet. Right. You couldn't Google, you know, what was happening during the Depression. Right. You had to right. get a brawny dude with an acoustic guitar who was coming through your town and started singing about this stuff. You know, and then Bob Dylan in the 60s idolized this guy and then went down to the South and started playing on the back of a truck and saying this is what civil rights are. You know, and then he wrote right. songs like Blowing in the Wind and A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall and A Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll where William Zanzinger, the same kind of dude who these GOP guys are, a privileged, rich scion of a wealthier guy, you know, murdered a woman. He hit her on the head with his cane because he didn't like like that she approached him at a party and murdered her and got away with Mm. it. You know, and that guy lived out his days, by the way, on the eastern shore of Maryland. And when he finally died in the early 90s, they found out he still had sharecroppers on his property living Mm. without indoor plumbing. 
African-Americans. The guy basically got away with one step out of slavery, you know, sharecropping, you know, Jim Crow era racism for his entire life. But, you know, and there was a thousand stories like that. There was 10,000 stories like that. But music was a threat because Dylan started singing about that stuff. And then all of a sudden, the civil rights movement wasn't just mm-hmm. black folks in the South. All these white kids started getting on buses and coming down, you know, and that's what when change happens. Not that the blacks needed the whites to do it. I'm not saying that whites were any sort of heroes in this. I'm not taking away from the leaders of the movement and who we should follow in all of these things, because mm-hmm. it's, it's African-American folks. You take your leadership from. It's them that it happened to, right? But how am I an ally to you? How do I make this better? And when white folks start showing up, that's when you get change. And you saw that happen in Black Lives Matter. President Mm -hmm. Obama said it's different this time because there's a lot of white kids out there. Mm -hmm. I live in a town, but it has all these billionaires in it. I'm not a billionaire, but during that happening a year ago now, I was up on this walk that's in the town and it's on a road right across the street from the guy who who's the head of BlackRock, which is one of the biggest like hedge funds in the country. You know, very wealthy guy. I mean, billionaire, you know, wealthy mm-hmm. isn't a massive understatement. He has this <laughs> massive farm, you know, and across there's these other nice houses and one of them has a Black Lives Matter poster in the window. And I'm like, that didn't happen before. You know, in the 80s up here, you weren't seeing that kind of thing. You know, it got into society in a way that it becomes unstoppable. And that's why they got so scared, right? That's why they had to invent Antifa and all these other excuses for why this stuff was happening and demonize this because they're scared of people finding out the truth and marching against injustice because the perpetrators, perpetrators of injustice profit from that injustice. That's the money. Like, that's the cash cow. And now all of a sudden, wait, these college kids don't want to be involved in this. They don't want to just shut up and, and let them know like daddy knows what's best. Again, so culture is what changes that stuff. You know, you can't bullshit children, youth. They know what the real deal is. And then they'll hear about it in songs and stuff. And they're like, no, screw that. I'm not down with that. That's where you have hope. And that's the arts. That's humanity. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say that, you know, a lot of my heroes growing up, it was uh, LeBron James and Tiger Woods. Those were the two best athletes uh, of my generation. And they had coalitions of fans that loved their sports, but they also advocated for bigger and brighter world through their platform of sports. And, you know, I'm a sports guy and also I'm going to throw in the uh, the sports analogy. But I guess my last question for you uh, today, I mean, there's got to be do you feel a sense of hope? I mean, I feel like some of these forces are, it's beyond our control. Can we stop them at this point? Yes, we can stop them. And I always feel a sense of hope, you know, and, and but I don't want to be Pollyannish about this. I don't want false hope. I don't want Twitter emojis and hashtag resistance and it's Mueller time. Right. Just wait. You're looking for somebody else to deliver justice. You're always going to be disappointed. That's not to say vigilantism is the way. It's to say really get involved. Tweeting about something isn't enough. And I'll put myself in that thing. I'm just trying to point out the truth to you. And there's a lot more people involved in maintaining the status quo than there are really, you know, kicking up the dust. And we're seeing a little bit of that from Biden right now. You know, people are getting outraged. Like, why isn't Garland? You know, they're definitely not going both barrels smoking after these guys. You know, and anybody who tries to say they are is kidding, right? You're kidding yourself. Don't be naive about how this thing works because it's always worked the same way. 
it hasn't changed yet, you know, and we could easily lose it. So do I live in fear? Yes. Not fear like I need a gun kind of stuff, but fear that people will get hoodwinked again, like the who sang about, you know, the new boss, same as the old boss, right? So yes, have hope, but get involved, you know, be practical. Don't think, oh, they're going to lock him up. Trump's going to be in cuffs. He's only going to be in cuffs if you demand him to be in cuffs. And he's going to burn this place down before he has to do that. He's going to get guerrilla warfare going across this country. If you don't think these Oath Keepers and these QAnon idiots will cause some trouble, you're not paying attention because they've been causing trouble for the last year, you know, horrific things that are unimaginable. It's unimaginable to me in my lifetime that the Capitol would have been stormed. And we don't, (laughs) and and a week ago, what was our theme? Oh, the GOP won't let us have a commission. And that commission was to find out who was behind it. You know, what were the forces that influenced this thing happening? And they were like, nope, shut that down. That ain't happening Mm because they know that QAnon and 4chan and all 8chan and all these kind of thoughts You know, these negative thoughts that feed their base are very popular with their base now. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, the monster energy drink of human beings (laughs) is sucking up all the fuel. There's now 30 QAnon candidates running in 2022. You let those 30 people into the house, it will be game over in the sense that you'll never get anything accomplished again. You know, Matt Gates is sitting on the oversight committee. He's getting to hear Don McGahn's testimony. Don McGahn refused to testify for a couple of years, right? He helped Trump. He helped Kavanaugh get in, you know, get on the Supreme Court. And then he bailed and was like, nope, I'm not testifying. Fuck you. You can't make me, <laughs> you know? And now he's finally testifying. It's behind closed doors. That shouldn't be behind closed doors. That should be on the TV right now. It's mm-hmm. happening today. We taped this on Friday. We should be able to see that. Instead, Matt Gates is sitting on the dais getting to question this guy. And you know, mm-hmm. he's going to be like, isn't it true you really hated Donald Trump? And that's, you know, he's going to do what all these guys do. Jim Jordan, all these guys that interrupt these hearings and genuflect and cause chaos. They're chaos agents. So you can't govern in chaos the way our system is set up, right? So yes, have hope, but understand your threats and don't be naive. Don't think, oh, he's going to go to jail because you're going to get disappointed. Yes, he'll be indicted. Yes, he'll go to court. Yes, he'll be able to tie that up. And a lot of people are like, well, it's criminal this time. He, he doesn't get to dictate it like <laughs> he does civil stuff. You ever seen what happens when a wealthy white guy goes on a criminal trial? Right? <laughs> he gets big lawyers who get stays all the time, evidentiary stuff. There's all kinds of tricks up his book, not to mention witness tampering, uh, right? which Trump is famous for. You know, not to mention how long is Alan Weisselberg or these guys that are testifying against him, if they even do, going to live? You know, he's right. He's 75 years old. So if that's justice to you, a 75 year old having a two year trial and maybe getting a sentence that he can then appeal at 77. Yeah, I've had it to me. He's already gotten away with it. And let's see what was behind it. You know, let's see how big this fire is that he started and let's put it out in all these little places around the country where it's burning and you're not paying attention (laughs) because you're looking at the big flashy guy on Twitter. No, look in Portland where they're going to do, you know, look in, you know, look in Texas, look in Arizona, look in all these other places, get involved, think globally, act locally. Well, and uh, it kills me. You know, you said Trump's 75. Is that right? 75. He's 75 next week. Happy birthday, Donnie. I'm going to, what do you want to get you? Another box? It depends. What do you need, buddy? 
Well, I was going to say, you know, he's a guy that all he does is feed on poison, you know, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, but it seems to be making him live longer. You know, it's like he's feeding some kind of poison mechanism in his body that just keeps fueling. Yeah, life isn't fair. You know, people are like, how is he still alive? It happens sometimes. Sometimes you're Elvis. Sometimes you're Donald Trump. You know, same deal. Prescription drugs, shitty food, blocked up colon. But he's not having a heart attack on the toilet, unfortunately. Not that I wish him ill, but you, you know what I'm saying? He's already gotten away with it. That's my point. You know, he's 75. Like, he's, he's, got, he's gotten to be Donald Trump his entire life. To the point that he ascended to the presidency and then destroyed the country. And instead of riding off into the sunset and being like, I own a bunch of golf courses, I can do whatever I want for the rest of my days, he's still like, burn it down. I want to be president. You didn't want to be president when you were president, right? (laughs) You wanted to go to your golf club so you could overcharge Secret Service every weekend. You know, that thing was a gift. He wasn't even golfing that much. He rides around in the golf cart that he's got jacked up with a faster engine than any other cart. So he speeds ahead of people. He cheats. He moves the ball. He shits himself a couple times, takes some calls from Erdogan, and then goes back to the White House. And boom, he writes, you know, he writes a bill for 70 grand to the Secret Service. That was the golf thing. It was a scam because he's petty. It's why everybody who did business with him had to stay at Trump Hotel in D.C. And now he's trying to sell the hotel. It's all just a grift, man. It's a grift. He's a con man. Don't fall for the con and don't fall for the people who support the con. And a lot of times that's our justice system because it's not fair. It let a dude like that exist for that long. Well, and uh, Gutfeld uh, with his Fox show, having former FBI and Secret Service in my family, threatening the president used to get you arrested. You know, how he was able to say that on public TV to the masses is a crime in itself. And that shows how it's changed as far as the, you know, what people are able to get away with now absolutely and you know and those guys fbi secret service nypd a lot of those guys were very sympathetic to trump most of the QAnon stuff that i see in my world on facebook and stuff are my buddies that were nypd retired guys you know Mm -hmm. they keep that stuff up except for my friend nick who we had on the show but the rest of the guys they love that shit because i've known a lot of cops and anybody who's honest about it they're all racist you know, all the cops I know are pretty kind of racist, <laughs> you know, it's have a, a degree. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, they, there's some good ones. And, and now you have some ethnic diversity on the force at NYPD. But in my day, it was all white Irish Catholic guys. You know, it was all big white guys and they were racist. You know, let's let's be honest. You know, that's the other thing. Let's be honest about how racist we are as a nation. If you're a white guy of my age, you grew up hearing horrible racist jokes since you started going to school. Right. Those mm-hmm. are the, the jokes you were taught. And that has an effect on you. You know, I I was able to reject it at a young age because I lived in a black neighborhood. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Those are my friends. You know, not that I would punch everybody in the face who ever said something racist to me. It was just like, that's dumb. You know, it's dumb, but it was so ingrained in our culture. Why don't you ask me about like a nice celebrity story to close it out? People like the music. Who, 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 um... Who recently haven't I talked about? What about Stevie? You got a Stevie story? Yeah, I got a lot of stories. I mean, I told the first part of that story on this podcast at Obama's first inauguration, where he told me to uh, send him some songs, right? Right. But I I had it figured out that if we react to the world with love in our heart, that's how I change the place, you know? And he's like, all right, take down my number. Send me some songs, you know? And as I walked away, he goes, they better be good fucking songs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Right? So I go into my life, I'm, you know, I'm touring with bands after that. I I went on tour with Jackson Brown and Crosby, Stills and Nash, and I was a road manager and I toured the world. And then I kind of got involved in the 
a bit of a toxic relationship, you know, and uh, it wasn't healthy and it was kind of ego based, you know, with somebody who sang in a band that opened for Lady Gaga actually called the Scissor Sisters. And they spent a year opening for Lady Gaga on the Monster Ball tour. And we met at Glastonbury, a big music festival in England. And I was dating this girl, but we weren't right for each other and it was just not healthy, but it consumed my mind in a way, you know? And uh, so all of a sudden it's four years again, I'm back doing the like second inauguration of Barack Obama. You know, I'm, I'm at the, the end of this toxic kind of bad relationship. This girl's actually, can I stay in your hotel room that weekend, you know? And oh, wow. she had a gig in DC, but we were done, you know, basically. So it was just one of those things that didn't feel good. And I'm like, oh, this feels terrible. And I'm like, I gotta go do rehearsals tomorrow for the inauguration. Let me see who's on the list, you know? And I look on the list and the first talent I'm with is Stevie Wonder. Mm. And I'm like, oh man, I never sent him any songs, you know, like this is terrible, like, you know, like I just ruined the last four years. Like, what was I doing? You know, I should have been working on my own art because I'd been trying to help this girl's career and, you know, use my connections to help her. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't what I was, should have been doing. It didn't play into my message. So I go to rehearsal and I'm like, all right, well, what I'm going to do is, you know, it's Stevie Wonder. So as long as I don't say anything, he probably won't know it's me. Right. So like not to be crass about it, but, you know, and that was also I told the story about how the van picked him up like the wrong van. I'm outside waiting for him. And like the car we sent for him didn't like show up, you know, kept calling us from the hotel. And they're like, Stevie Wonder hasn't gotten in the car yet. And we're like, oh, he's late for rehearsal, you know, and then I'm outside waiting. And finally, this van pulls up like a delivery van right and then I see Stevie Wonder getting out of the passenger seat you know and his manager who's a very cool guy I won't mention his name but they get out and I'm like what and I run across the street to the van and I'm like hey dude like you're not the driver we hired he goes no I just pulled up in front of this hotel and I saw Stevie Wonder and I waved at him and you know like and then just Stevie got in the car like his manager just like got him in the van I said where are you going they said the convention center so I drove him here and I was like oh my god that's awesome like that's crazy that you lose track of your talent in what I do but it had a happy ending and it was a cool story right yeah so Stevie comes in and uh, I bring him to you know the, the room and uh get ready for rehearsal. And we walk down to rehearsal and I'm still not saying anything because I'm ashamed that I haven't reached out to him. Not that he cares, but he'd offered me a wonderful opportunity. Sure. At that point, I wrote a lot of songs in my life. I always did. And um, so I, I sort of set him up on stage. He starts playing. The band is already there. You know, they're kicking ass. They just start jamming into this song. I go stand about 30 yards back, holding a couple bottles of water in case he needs water or something, you know, and he starts playing. He's playing the harmogen, which is this cool instrument that like he didn't invent, but it's like a harpsichord with piano keys. It's like this weird thing. He's playing that. All of a sudden they stop. Right. And his manager, this guy, Ron, I'll say his name, comes over and Stevie says something to him and Ron stares at me and I'm like 30 feet away. And then Ron goes, come here, like gives me the finger, come here. Mm. I'm like, what is the, like the sound wrong or something, you know, like, do they need water? So I go up to the lip of the stage. And as I get there, Ron backs away and Stevie starts playing again. And then he starts singing. Right. And he goes, where are the songs? Where are the songs you promised me songs about a love for all humanity, not a love between you and me. 
And I was wow. like, oh my God, like he just saw into my soul. <laughs> like he just knows what I did because the love I was in was an attachment, not real love, like ego-based love, you know, where you exclude the rest of the universe because you focus on a single person. That's not real love. Real love is cultivating love for everything, all beings, huh. everybody you meet. Loving without attachment is real love. People confuse romantic love as, as love, that's attachment. You know, I'm going to be happy if that person loves me back. And then you give over your own sense of freedom to that person. Cause you're like, Hey, they want to go to a movie tonight. I don't want to go to a movie. If I say no, I'll disappoint them. Once right. you get caught in that cycle, you're kind of screwed in a sense, you know, you're cut off from the bigger, larger, spiritual, metaphysical love that I was speaking about. So Stevie's singing this and I'm like, he's a prophet, like <laughs> in my soul, like he just saw my truth and I can't believe it's happening. And I pull out my phone and I hit record just because I'm like, this is insane. And he just plays and I think he sang it again. And I'm like, is this a song he has that I never heard? And it's just the word, weirdest coincidence in the world, you know, but my whole body's lit up. My heart <laughs> is lit up because he sees me in the truth. And he wasn't mad. He was just like, hey, dude, you think I didn't see you standing over there? You know, <laughs> Where's the love? Where's the love? You know, not in the way he put it, you know, a love for all humanity, not a love between you and me, not an attachment, a love for everything in this universe. It's like we were talking about, they exclude everybody else. I get mine. I got to protect my family. Screw the other guy. Screw the immigrant. Screw the African-American, you know, so I can protect mine because I love my family. That's not love. Love challenges you to go beyond your perceptions and love everything. That's right. real love. That's harmony. It's loving without attachment. That's what all the mystical religions teach you, you know, when you boil it down to its truth. So that's what he was speaking about. He was just using you and me as an example, you know, it was brilliant. That's why I was like, this is crazy. You know, and I recorded it and he sang it for a minute. And then I, you know, I just sort of like floated away <laughs> and he went into the rehearsal and I was like, you don't mess with Stevie Wonder. Wow. You know, don't think yeah. Stevie Wonder doesn't see you because he sees more than you and I see. You know? Did you get to talk to him afterwards and like mention anything to him? I don't, I don't even know. I don't wow. remember. Probably not. Well, <laughs> what more do you say? He yeah. called me out on my truth. I, I got out of that relationship you know, and I found my voice, right? Because now I'm a comedian. You know, I still yeah. like write songs, but that wasn't my thing, you know, in a way. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable like on stage as, as a musician because I'm not a great singer and stuff the way I am as, as a comedian, you know? And when I started speaking my truth, like about Trump, all of a sudden, four million views the next day, you know, somebody posts a little video of me and then Kathy Griffin and all these people are retweeting it. Yeah, the phone's ringing. For you guys listening at home, <laughs> I have a phone, big secret, landline. Anyway, uh, you know, that's probably a good way to wrap it up, but I found my voice. So Stevie gave me a gift, you know, where's the love for all humanity? And that's when I started speaking out, like there's nothing on the other side of this. If right. we let Trump continue to run this place, we're screwed, you know? So I walked away from my career and the money I had and the, the cushy travel in the world and going to the Super Bowl and started getting up on stage in clubs in my late 40s in New York City, where you don't get paid anything. And you got to sit on the lineup with people doing dick jokes all night, you know? And I started talking about the president being a drug addict. And it was fine to just do it for 50 people. But then, as I said, millions of people saw it. And I still don't make any money at it. This podcast is free. You know, there's no Patreon page. I don't want anything from you. I'm just going to speak my truth, you know, and speak about a love for all humanity because that's where it's at. So that's episode 14 of the Noel Kassler podcast. You got any parting words, Jimmy? 
I would just say uh, love you and love everybody. Love yourself and love everybody around you. It's going to be a better world. So those are my parting words. Love you and love everybody. All right. So Jimmy loves you, everybody. You better tell him you love him <laughs> back when you see this podcast last week. Sign up, subscribe, tell your friends. And until then, be safe. <laughs>